Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. So I'm going to get straight into this thing. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the introduction uh, as far as the sermon goes. I just want to I just want to kind of talk to you about where we're going, what we're doing, and why we're doing it. So we are going to start a series today called Reborn Identity. And we have all, because I want us to know that we have all been reborn or in need of being reborn. And so my hope is that this series brings light to the significance of who we've been born to be. And so, or correction, who we've been reborn to be. There's an interesting dialogue in John chapter 3, and this isn't where I'm teaching from, just to kind of explain to you why I'm going where I'm going. John chapter 3, there's an interesting dialogue um, between Jesus and Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, it starts like this. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly. I like that he says truly, truly twice because he's saying, when, when you read that in the scripture, the, whoever's saying it, specifically Jesus here, is saying, listen, listen, this is important. This is significant. I need you to pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. We must be reborn. We were born of the water, which is, of course, the womb, but we must also be born of the Spirit, which is to come to a place of salvation, of, of acknowledging who Jesus Christ is, the sacrifice that he made, and in that acknowledgement, declaring, according to Romans 10, 9, that he is Lord and that we believe that God raised him from the dead, we move from being born to reborn. And as reborn, there are many facets to our new identity. Because being reborn, we aren't who we used to be. And one of those facets of our new identity, our reborn identity, is that we are privileged. We have privileges beyond what your average person, un, not reborn, that hasn't been reborn, excuse me, doesn't possess. And as privileged, we're favored by God, having the right to do what others don't have the right to do. And so I'm going to teach today out of two verses, actually a verse and a half, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and the first half of 5. And this is what it says. I want to discuss the privileges that we have because we've been reborn. The whole purpose of this lesson, this series, is to show you who you are now, who we are now, what we have access to now, why being in Christ is important to us, so that we can have comfort in knowing that we belong to Christ and know what privileges those offer. This is intended to be a sermon, a lesson, a teaching that is encouraging. I want to encourage you today to know that God has bestowed upon each of us that has declared his name, his, the name of his son Jesus in faith with, with special privileges. And those privileges start to be laid out in 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. Excuse me. He says, and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. 
you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So I'm going to read that one more time, and then we're going to open up this, these verses and explain to uh, what they mean. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Let me tell you, we are privileged. I'm just going to make two points today. They're going to be relatively simple, but I hope incredibly encouraging. And the first point is we are privileged to be unified with Christ. We are privileged to be in Him. And our privilege begins with the first part of verse 4, by coming to Him. All privilege begins by coming to Him. We have to declare in faith that we believe who He is. Nothing that we have is available to us. No privilege is available to us unless we come to Him first in salvation. Like John chapter 3, 1 through 7 says, we have to come from a place where we acknowledge that not only are we born, but we must be reborn, and that only possible according to what we learned even last week through Christ alone and faith alone. So unless we come to Jesus, unless we come with our hands empty, knowing we have nothing to offer except faith and obedience, we can't be saved. So we must acknowledge with empty hands that in Christ Jesus our privilege starts. If you're at home, I want you to repeat that. In Christ Jesus, our privilege starts. Because if I can't set that foundation for you today, if I can't make you understand that one simple truth that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, then I can't explain anything else to you because it has to start with an acknowledgement of Jesus Christ by coming to him in faith according to the word of God, in faith so that no man may brag as, a, as an offering, as a gift of grace, undeserved by us God loves us enough that he sent his son so that we might have it I could go on and on and on but I want you to set the foundation in your spirit today in your heart today and acknowledge out loud that we have nothing we have access to nothing we have privilege of nothing in fact we can't do anything in of ourselves unless we are first in Christ and in Christ comes as we come to Christ so as coming to him, we have abundant and eternal life only in Christ Jesus. Whew, that's good. But Christ Jesus, according to this text, is a living stone rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. He is a living stone, the cornerstone. Let me tell you, explain to you for a moment what a cornerstone is. The stone by which the entire structure rests. A, a cornerstone has to be perfect in every, everything that it is. The way that it's angled, the, the, the corners have to be perfect. It has to be absolutely without blemish. And we know that Jesus Christ was absolutely without blemish. He knew no sin. The only sin that he's ever been around is the sin that he took on for our sake but he is a perfect cornerstone and this is why he has to be because if you get a cornerstone that is horizontally not perfectly straight then the structure is going to tilt if you get a cornerstone that isn't vertically perfectly straight then you're going to get a structure that is going to not only tilt, but because of the way the cornerstone sets the rest of the building, it will collapse in in itself or over. And so we must have a perfect cornerstone to have a perfect foundation, to have a perfect structure. And it's because Jesus Christ is perfect, because Jesus Christ was perfect, because he will always be perfect, that we can trust that we can build on him, that we won't topple over, that we won't fall in, that we won't be leaning to the left or to the right, but that our foundation is sure because he is horizontally perfect. Our horizontal relationships have the ability to be perfectly unified because of his vertical perfection. We can assure and rest assured that our 
vertical relationship with God is absolutely perfect. And so we acknowledge that in all of these things, because he is the cornerstone, the living stone, we have a spiritual house that is perfected. We have a spiritual house that we can trust, that we can build on. That we will be as secure as we possibly can be. Because the cornerstone, which is Christ Jesus, in coming to him, is perfect. In this passage, as a lot of the apostles did, uh, Peter is alluding to text in the Old Testament. Specific text that he's alluding to in the Old Testament here is Isaiah 28, 16. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. Of course, Isaiah is prophesying about Christ Jesus, and he is saying Jesus is tested. He is a costly stone. He is firmly placed. And so how are these things possible? What do these things mean? And I'm setting this foundation because I want you to know what foundation you've been placed upon. You've been placed upon a foundation, a living stone that has been tested. If you go to Luke 4, 1 through 13, I'm not going to read that, but it's the, it's the story of the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was tested in every way possible. It says that he was tested physically by being offered bread or being told to make a stone into bread, but he was tested spiritually when the enemy told him, if you'll just worship me, and he was tested emotionally through the pride of life. And so in every way possible, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, Jesus Christ was tested. And because Jesus overcame his testing, we have the assurance, and he's the foundation of the structure with which we rest, we have the confidence to know that we too have the ability to overcome. Do you hear what I'm telling you? It doesn't matter what the enemy comes against you with, you have the ability to overcome. Not because of who you are, but because of who Christ Jesus is. Because he is a perfect cornerstone. He is perfect in every way, both vertically and horizontally. He has been tested, and he came through in the end. Hebrews 2.18 says, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So not only do we know that we have the ability to overcome, we know that we have the ability to overcome because Jesus comes alongside of us and makes intercession at the right hand of the Father so that we might ultimately be everything that God called us to be, so that we might be the perfected structure that God is building, the church. Man, that's good. I don't know about you guys, but I get excited because I know the foundation determines the structure. I don't. That if I just rest in Jesus, in the fact that he was tested, then I will know that because he was tested and overcame, I might also overcome. What am I trying to do today? I'm just trying to encourage you. I'm trying to show you who Jesus is. Because until we recognize who Jesus is, we're never going to recognize who we are. But not only is he tested, he was tested in every way. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize in our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So he was tempted in every way we've talked about, and never sinned. And never sinned. That was necessary so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for us but also so that he could be the perfect example for us. If Christ did it and Christ's Spirit lives in us, then we have the ability to do it as we pursue the Holy Spirit in Christ's likeness. So he not only gave us the strength of his foundation, but he gave us the strength of his Spirit to continue to build upon. Man, that is so good. But not only was he tested, the Word of God says his sacrifice was costly. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it, the, it is the gift of God. 
I want to pause here long enough for you to catch up because I'm about to say something incredibly important. Grace was given to us, which means the unmerited favor of God was given to us. And it was given to us as a free gift. But that doesn't mean that it was free. I've never given a gift that I didn't ultimately have to pay for. I have been given a gift that was free. But let me tell you something. No, no gift you've ever been given didn't cost somebody something. And the free gift of grace that you've been given cost Jesus greatly. We talked, Good Friday was just a couple weeks ago, and we talked then about the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. That grace that he gave us, how costly it was to him. And the costly grace of Jesus Christ was his suffering, his persecution, his taking on of God's wrath. I don't want to blow past the fact that it is a free gift, and we praise God for that because we don't have the right to brag about anything that we've, we've accomplished because we've accomplished nothing. But God sent his son Jesus to suffer and pay the price. He is, his sacrifice was and is costly. Why was he willing to pay it? The, re the reason is simple. Because he loves us. Again, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to encourage us today. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 reads like this. But God, after having verses 1 through 3 talk about how we were formerly living in the lusts of our flesh and how we deserved hell. Verse 4 says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved catch that in Christ as the foundation stone we've been shown love we've been shown riches of God's mercy we've been shown his compassion he's removed us from death and placed us in a position of life why because he loves us and according to Hebrews 12 2 for the joy set before him because he knew that through a display of his love for us, by paying the cost of our free gift of grace, we would get to spend eternity with him, and he would be forever at the right hand of the Father. I want you to consider that Jesus did what he did because he was in expectation of the joy of spending eternity with you, with us. Not only was he costly, according to the text today, he was rejected by men. Let me just read this again. Coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, he is choice and precious in the sight of God. So not only is he tested, not only is he costly, according to today's text, he's, a re he's rejected by men. When this was written, he was rejected by the Jewish religious class. They denied who he was. They assumed he wasn't the Messiah. Or they weren't willing to admit that he wasn't the Messiah for fear that it would cost them their position. What would I have to give up if this is truly the Messiah? And quite honestly, I think that that was, the, that was their biggest concern. What will I have to give up? if I acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And because they weren't willing to give up, they rejected him. Because when, we, when we're not willing, when we, have, when we do give it up, when we do say, okay, I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah, then we also have to say, he's the Messiah, what do I do with him? 
not only what do I do with him, but because of what I've done with him, what does he expect me to do with me? And we're to, I say we are, they were to, too comfortable with our traditions, too comfortable with our personal pleasures, too comfortable with our pet sins, if you were, if you will. Too, too comfortable with our worldview. If I, if I declare, if they declare, if you declare, Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ as the Messiah, then you have to ask, what does he want from me? It's sad that we reject him for the same reason they did. Because we aren't willing to give up our position, our comfort, our expectation, our preferences, our worldview. And in that, we've rejected him just as they have. But not only is he rejected, both then and now, he is choice and precious. He is choice and precious because in him is united all parts of the building, Jews and Gentiles. I, can't, I can just go on and on and on about how Christ is precious, how his blood spilled on our behalf is precious and choice, how everything that he does, everything that he's done on our behalf is precious for one reason, so that we might all be built into a firm foundation, into a solid structure, both Jews and Gentiles. It doesn't get more precious than that. And because all of those things, all of those things that Jesus is, we too are being built as living stones, according to the text. We also are tested costly, firmly placed, and precious in the sight of God. The Bible tells us that we will be tested. The word promises that we will be tested. But don't stress it because our testing is for our own perfection. James 1, 2, and 4 says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect, lacking in nothing. You know, the glorious thing about the gospel is that it is not that it declares that we have our best life now, but that it declares we have our best life in eternity. And for this reason, I will tell you, we do encounter trials. We do encounter temptations. And if you haven't, you will. There will be continued trials, even if you're experiencing trials now, because until you are completely perfected, there will be trials. A teacher will, a teacher, a good teacher, will give you all the tools necessary to make you everything that you're supposed to be. God is the perfect teacher, and he's going to let you sit under the test that you're in until you score 100 on that test, is essentially what Peter's saying in this text, or James was saying in this text. So don't desire a life without persecution and trial. Man, that's a hard word. But it should be. Listen, do not desire a life without persecution and trial. Because a life without persecution and trial is a life imperfected. Or probably a life that doesn't belong to God. But instead, grab a hold of the trial. And beat it. Not only are we tested, but we are costly. We talked a minute ago about what Jesus Christ actually did, that the grace was free, but I want to talk specifically about the value that God has placed on you. I've said this a time or two before, but I think it's, it's worth repeating that the market sets the value for a thing. What does that mean? That means whatever you bought is set at the price that you paid for it because that's what people are willing to pay for it because that's the value that they determine that it should have. It's the reason why you go to Hollywood by 
$1,000 t-shirt, you buy that same t-shirt in Lebanon if the Walmart for 10 bucks because there they're willing to pay 1000 Here, they're willing to pay 10 bucks. So why is that important here? That's important here because if value is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it, and God gave the most precious thing that he has for you, which is the life and blood of his own son, Jesus Christ, then you are eternally valuable. You are divinely valuable. You are loved beyond anything that you can understand because God literally gave up everything, the most precious thing to him, so that he might purchase you, so that he might redeem you, which literally means to purchase you are redeemed because God determined that you are worth the price. Can you hear what I'm saying? Some of you guys think I'm not worth anything. I can't do anything. I'm not capable of anything. Let me tell you, you need to put all that in the trash today because Jesus Christ gave his life for you, the most valuable thing that could ever have been given for anything, shed his blood on your behalf for no other reason so that, he could so that you could belong to him. He set the market value for you, and that market value is the life of his son, Jesus. Take comfort in that. I told you, I'm trying to encourage you today. You will be tested, but God wants to perfect you. That's the encouragement. Perfection is coming. You are costly. There was a suffering. But the blessing, the encouragement, is that God put a market value on you that to him the suffering was worth it. It was worth it. You are worth it. You spending eternity with him is worth it to him. That's why you are costly. And can I ask you to do me a favor? Act like you are costly. Nobody takes that $1,000 t-shirt and goes rubs it and plays with it in the mud with it. Don't take what God paid so handsome a bounty for and defile it. Either by talking yourself down, allowing someone else to talk you down, or to live in such a way that doesn't glorify God. You're too costly. You're too precious. Nobody's going to take their most prized possession and take it out in the yard and play with it for fear that it might be broken. Honor the sacrifice that was paid. Honor the market value that you carry. Mm, that's good. But not only that, not only are we costly, we are firmly placed, unshakable and immovable. John 10, 28 and 29 says, And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Did you hear that? No one. My Father who has been given to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. No one is able to snatch you. You are firmly placed because the foundation stone is set and because you were set perfectly on that foundation stone, you belong to the structure and no one can take you or remove you from that structure. Rest in the fact that God holds you, that God rolls you around in his hand, that he looks at you, that he adores you, that he, he looks at you from every angle and perspective. And he, I am absolutely convinced that as he's doing it he he is overcome with love for you otherwise why would he have paid the price for you one of the things that i do that drives my wife crazy is i stare at her and i know it sounds weird but we'll be sitting in our house and she'll she'll look over i'll be staring at her she goes what are you looking at me for you want to fight and I said, no, I don't want to fight. I'm just trying to memorize your face. I'm trying to memorize your face because I love you. Because I want to know everything there is about you. Did you know that the love that God has for you, the market value that he has placed on you, the fact that he has firmly placed you in his hand and is staring at you even now is for one reason. Because he wants to memorize your face. Because he wants you to know that you are loved. And if that doesn't encourage you today, I don't, I don't know what could. It makes my heart full. And all of these things, all of these things that he is, 
create all of these things that we are. And all of these things together are because we are in Him. And so point number two is since our privileges begin with Him, what does being in Him mean? So my point two is a question. If everything begins with being in Christ, if, if my ability to be firmly placed, if my ability to, to be costly is only because I belong to Him, what does it mean to be in Him? Because I've heard this a thousand times. Be in Christ. Be in Christ. It's one of those things that most people say, they use the terminology, but when you ask them what it means, they're all, well, you know, I'm in Christ. Because we don't really have a comprehension. And so I, I've come up with what I think is as reasonable a definition, simple a definition as I can. To be in Christ is declaring and believing in faith that Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. That's their definition of Romans 10.9. To be in Christ is to be spiritually unified and united in him. To belong to him. Very simply put, it means to belong to him. When I say I'm in Christ, I mean I belong to him. When I say I'm in Christ, I say I belong to him. Physically and spiritually. Which means I do what he says. Which means I live my life according to the word. Which means I listen to the spirit of God placed inside of me as I pursue Christ's likeness, expecting the spirit to empower me to that Christ-likeness. To be in him is to belong to him, which means to no longer belong to myself. If you are in Christ, you no longer belong to yourself. It's the reason why I quoted Romans 10.9, because the first half of that says, declare Jesus Christ as Lord. That means you don't get a choice about the way you live your life anymore. You are truly a slave to righteousness. But that's okay because you're not a slave to sin. Because sin leads to death. I'm okay with being a slave to righteousness because righteousness leads to life and life eternal. But my point is we have to be in him. And what it means to be in him is to belong to him, to declare him Lord of our life. Truly Lord of our life. Let's stop with the lip service already. Let's stop coming to church or listening to it on the television, as it were, or doing all the things that we say we do and then exiting from that time of worship and living our life like we want to, living our life for hell, doing the things that we want to do, the things that we know are opposed to the Word of God. I'm talking to somebody, probably most of us in the room today. God expects us to belong to Him and in belonging to Him, to submit to Him, and in submission to him, be obedient to him. And let me tell you, if you're not obedient to him, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, there's every indication in the word of God that you never belonged to him in the first place because obedience is a fruit of belonging to God. Mm. So what is the overarching privilege of belonging to him? Let me read you something. The overarching privilege, if I, if the umbrella privilege, the, the privilege from which all other privileges flow is that we are adopted as children of God. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says this, For you have not received a spirit of... Wait a minute, am I, am I on the right place? Yeah, 8, 15 through 17. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Listen, Abba, Father is a term of endearment. It's a, ter a term of intimacy. So we have intimacy with the Father because we belong to Christ. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, also heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, 
if indeed we suffer with him, so that we also be, so that we may also be glorified with him. Man, this is a mouthful of goodness. Everything that we have because we belong to God, we have because in belonging to God, in coming to him, as we spoke of in the, at the first, in coming to him, we become children of God, heirs of God, which means we have full access rights to the privileges that God has to offer his kids. We belong to God as though we are, all, we are his own children. Because in fact, we are his own children. And as adopted children of God, we have several privileges. And I, I just want to take the last few minutes that we have together and just talk to you about the privileges that we have being in Christ. Number one, in Christ we are loved by God with an inseparable love. I talked about this a moment ago when I talked about how you can't be snatched out of the out of the hand, but I think out of the Father's hand, but I think there's a there's a greater set of verses that I want you to pay attention to. And that's Romans eight, thirty eight through thirty nine. Actually I'm gonna do thirty five, thirty eight, and thirty nine. And it says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Did you hear that? It's a question, but it's a rhetorical question. Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword Separate us from Christ, from the love of Christ? Absolutely not. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now. It doesn't matter that everybody's locked down. It doesn't matter that the world seems upside down, that half the world wants to do one thing, half the world wants to do another thing, and I ain't certain any of them are right. But I will tell you, none of that matters because none of those things, it doesn't matter what comes against you, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ because you belong to him, because you have been built into a perfect structure with Christ Jesus as the foundation because you belong to him. In verse 38 it says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. Nothing in all creation. Here's a warning for you. That's the encouragement. But there's a warning. If nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, it's time we stop using all those excuses as a reason to step away from Christ. But, but you don't understand what I'm going through. I've got this trial I'm dealing with. This here says that the trial, the tribulation, can't remove us. But you understand, I'm hungry, I'm poor. Hunger and poor poverty can't remove us. But you don't understand, so-and-so said such-and-such, so-and-so and such-and-such -and -such can't remove you. No created thing can remove you. Nothing can remove you. In Christ, because we belong to him, you are inseparable. Act as though you are inseparable. Number two, in Christ we were redeemed and forgiven of our sins. Ephesians 1.7 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He bought us back from the slave market of sin. We have been redeemed from the slave market of sin. We once belonged to the kingdom of darkness, but now through the blood, through the love, through the acceptance of Christ Jesus, by coming to him, now we have been bought back and in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. 
in Christ Jesus, we are justified before God, and the righteousness of God has been credited to us. So he bought us back. He justified us and bestowed upon us his righteousness, credited to us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did you catch that? He bought us back and then justified us, which is a big Christian word for means saying that we're not guilty, but we're so not guilty that it's though we were never charged in the first place. And because we're, no, we're not guilty, and because it's as though we've never been charged in the first place, we have God's righteousness imputed to us. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of the foundation stone, the cornerstone that we have established ourselves as part of by becoming in Christ Jesus, by coming to Christ Jesus. So you've been inseparable. You have been redeemed and forgiven. You have been justified. And you have been given righteousness. In Christ, we have become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. If we are new creatures... We need to start acting according to our new nature. We need to start acting as though we have the Spirit of God living in us. God, in Christ Jesus, gave us the ability to say, I was, but God, I am. This I am, that I am now, isn't who I was. I need to stay over here in the I am section, not move back at my convenience at the I was section. Because God did a thing which was offer his son Jesus Christ as a sacrifice, as a propitiation, as a substitution for our sin. He crawled upon the cross so that we might have the hope of eternal life and in accepting that hope, become a new, have a new nature, become a new creature have the Spirit of God in us so that we might pursue Christ's likeness. We have to start acting according to our new nature. In Christ, we have, the peace, we have peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus destroyed the hostility between us and God. We were deserving of wrath. Did you know that? Everything that was poured out on Jesus deserved to be poured out on us. But he stood in the way and said, I got this. I'll offer myself so that they don't have to die. We deserved the wrath of God for the divine rebellion of our sin nature. But Jesus, because of the work that he did, gave us peace with God. But not only with with God, but in Christ we have the peace of God. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's some verses there that go before, I would encourage you to go read the context there, but it ends up in this place. That because of who you belong to, because you are in Christ Jesus, there is a peace that you have or that you should have that according to this will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What does it mean to guard your heart and your mind? To guard your heart and mind is a, it's a military term, meaning that it's, that peace is going to stand over your heart, over your mind, and not let any bad thoughts or bad actions enter and stay there. If we will just trust, if we will pray, if we will offer thanksgiving, if we will concentrate on the things that are good, which is the context of the verse. We've not only been given peace with God, but the peace of God. In Christ, we've all been spiritually gifted. First Corinthians, I'm going to read a section out of First Corinthians to you. Chapter 12. I'm going to start with 7 and go through 11. It says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, and to another effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And then I'm going to go to verse 28. And God has appointed in the church apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, and various kinds of tongues. We've all been gifted. We've been gifted to do a work. In Christ, we make the body whole. In Christ, we come to him with him as the foundation stone, build upon him so that according to the text that we're reading from today, so that we might build up a spiritual house. You know how a spiritual house is built up in perfection? By standing on Jesus Christ as the foundation and then using every gift in the house to glorify God. I am certain that the church today lacks because it doesn't represent the first century church where a lot of the gifts or most of the gifts are no longer seen as applicable. Let me tell you, if it was available to them, it's available to us in Christ Jesus. And then finally, in Christ we have victory. 1 Corinthians 15.57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me talk to you about your victory. This has primarily been a message for the believer. But if you're not a believer today, I want you to acknowledge something. I want you to recognize something, that all these things are available to you in Christ Jesus, that you too can be privileged as we are privileged. That you can have the victory that the Word of God promises us. And that's not just victory over this life and its circumstances, which certainly we have the ability to have victory there. But it's a victory in life eternal. It's a victory over death. That it's a victory over the grave. That the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that death has no sting over the believer. This is the victory that God has offered us. This is the benefit, the privilege of being in Christ Jesus. The firm foundation, the perfect cornerstone, costly. My prayer is that you acknowledge those of you that, that are already privileged, that already belong to Him, that you acknowledge who you are and live accordingly. And for those people that, that don't belong to Christ, that aren't in Christ, that haven't committed your life to Christ, that haven't declared according to Romans 10, 9, that God raised, that, that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised Him from the dead. Because according to that same text, this is how you will be saved. For those of you that haven't done that, know that there are privileges for you. But can I also tell you, don't accept because of the privileges. We never, ex we never chase after the gift over the gift giver. Our victory isn't in the gift, isn't in the privilege. Our victory is in Christ Jesus. And so whether you know or whether you don't know, whether you used to know and you've slipped away or you don't know. And even if you do know and you're not living in the victory, you're living in fear, you're living in anxiety, the Word of God promises us victory. There's so many things we could pray for here. There's so many things I'm going to pray for here that God give us victory over our circumstance that God continue to give us victory in our situation over our trial that God that we have a faith and a hope in the victory that we've been promised for eternity and I'm going to pray for those people who who may not have ever accepted Jesus Christ to acknowledge him and in acknowledging him 
be built with us to create this spiritual house. If that's you, if you would like to be prayed for, this is what I want you to do. Whether you just need prayer for anxiety or prayer for trial or or you want to give your life to the Lord. There's a button on your screen today that says live prayer button. I want you to push that. That's going to shoot you to a a chat with one of our staff members, the host of of the online stream. And they want to have a conversation with you. They want to get your information. They want to pray with you. Please give us the opportunity to minister to you. Let me tell you, there is no greater thing than knowing that you are in Christ and having the comfort that in Christ we are privileged. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you and thank you that you love us. God, that you are mighty to save, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, the firm foundation, the foundation stone, perfect in every way, unshakable. And because he's perfect in every way and unshakable, we know, Heavenly Father, that we too are unshakable, that we are privileged to belong to you because of him. God, if there's any person within the sound of my voice that are that are dealing with trials and temptations or struggles, I ask, Heavenly Father, that you bring them the peace that your word promises. God, if there's any person within the sound of my voice who doesn't know you, I ask that you give them the peace with you through your son Jesus that your word promises. God, let us seek you first and then celebrate the privilege of being in you. I thank you for who you are. God, this prayer is a simple one, that we trust you. We trust that being in Christ, we have access to you. And because we have access to you, we are privileged to belong to you. We worship you, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.